Life had been busy that year. We were both working full-time, raising a small child, involved at church, spending time with friends, and just generally busy with life. Spring turned to summer, and all was going okay except for one thing. We noticed that there were a lot of fruit flies around. Now, we always expect fruit flies in the summer, but this was becoming ridiculous. There were so many of them in our kitchen all the time that I was making a sport of swatting as many as I could with one swipe of a newspaper. Honestly, the whole situation was pretty gross. Finally, we woke up and realized, hey, there must be a reason there are so many fruit flies in our house. This is way beyond what we should expect. And then one of us had the presence of mind to clean out the pantry. Oh, look, a stray potato had fallen to the bottom and gotten lost behind everything else. How many months ago did that happen? You'd think we'd have learned our lesson a decade later. But then a summer came when the sugar ants began to overrun our house. After putting up with it for far too long, finally, we cleaned out the pantry. Oh, look, a small candy cane left over from Christmas, and it wasn't completely wrapped. Well, there was our answer. Another year, it was mice in the garage eating my bicycle seat. And yet another, it was termites eating our fence. The worst one of all, silverfish in the kitty litter. Ugh. When you're a homeowner, there's always something. We now pay an exterminator to treat the outside of our house four times a year. So far this year, I haven't seen a single spider in the bathtub. Yet every one of these home invasions is just the way the world is. Whatever we humans do to keep such forces of nature at bay, it's only temporary and not at all the natural order of things. Change is inevitable, and death is inevitable, and the cycle goes on. Things keep decaying, and the little critters keep eating those things. I say that our human meddling isn't natural, but on second thought, what else could it be? After all, we ourselves are natural, part of God's created order, and the little critters eventually eat us too. The influence we exert on our environment in our homes and worldwide, is what humans naturally do. Yet we see clearly the destruction we are wreaking on the world with our ambitions and our appetites. We don't want to believe that is natural at all. One way to look at religion in general is to see it as the ongoing work of us humans to sort out what is only natural, from what we should be doing instead, based on our understanding of a creator who wishes better for us? Is it only natural for us to kill one another, to wage war and to seize land? If that's the case, why do we see so clearly that this is wrong? 
that the world should not be this way at all? Why do we so carefully in this place preserve these stories of an alternate divine reality in which justice is done and there are no more enemies and everybody has what they need to live in joy and peace together always? Would we tell such stories if the reality of it were impossible? So, blow the trumpet in Zion, cries the prophet Joel. Sound the alarm. God is coming to hold us to account. The context of this reading is that in the midst of a long drought, a swarm of locusts has descended on Jerusalem. The prophet identifies this plague as a divinely sent army, God's judgment on the people. Joel calls this the day of the Lord, a day of reckoning for the people's sins. The question of what God causes and what God allows will always be a theologically squirrely business. So I try not to make such proclamations, but then I don't fancy myself a prophet. The minute you look at a disaster and say, this is a message from God, you are accountable for all the assumptions that lie behind your proclamation. Was the dust bowl God's punishment for over-farming the plains? If so, what can we make of the long-term effects of climate change? Was Chernobyl God's punishment for manufacturing nuclear weapons? If so, what can we make of last week's Russian capture of that notorious nuclear power plant? Could it be instead that these are simply the natural consequences of what we humans do? It is certainly natural for us to continue to wonder about these things and even to let our conclusions affect how we relate to the world. We're only here for a short time after all. When we identify situations as just plain wrong, will we throw up our hands and say, oh well, that's just the way humans are? I don't think that's good enough. Not when people are suffering. We Christians look to Jesus as our model for how to relate to unjust situations. Jesus got angry and then he got involved. In the same way that we are able to identify evil in the world, we are also able to identify evil in ourselves. And this is the most puzzling problem of all. It's easy to say to others, you're doing it wrong. But we don't have to have been human for very many years before we discover our own shortcomings, especially the ones we never quite seem to be able to change. After I was fitted with a night guard to stop me from grinding my teeth, I asked my dentist, how can I just stop grinding my teeth so I don't need this night guard? And she said, sorry, but that's a psychological problem and it's way beyond my pay grade. It's one thing not to be able to control an internal bodily tendency. It's quite another to engage in behavior that actively hurts those around us and to keep doing it. We don't always know why we do the things we do. And sometimes we find ourselves completely unable to change them. 
the Christian gospel, the good news we proclaim to the world is that there is a larger container for all our shortcomings than just ourselves. We are responsible for our sins, yes, but we are not the only ones responsible. The God who created us shares that responsibility willingly and lovingly. Enter into a relationship with me, God calls into our hearts. Never mind how awful you feel about yourself, come to me. Just come to me and let me hold you. No, we might retort, you can't possibly know me that well if you still accept me just as I am. And God, looking at us, loves us and bends down even closer arms outstretched. We look more closely and discover that God looks like Jesus. Jesus is inviting us to come closer, to turn away from doing battle with all those fruit flies for a while, and to step into his arms. First comes the embrace. Then we see Jesus pointing in the direction of the pantry where that potato is moldering away. The prophet Joel calls for a fast. The apostle Paul urges the Corinthians, be reconciled to God. Jesus dispenses specific advice on how not to pray. Not as hypocrites. Not as people who do the bare minimum to earn some reward. Not as people who pose and perform to show how pious we are. But as humans who actually care about all this disorder and pain and want to help heal it. And we are to pray as those who are truly penitent, who want to find the source of those fruit flies and deal with it. Today is the beginning of the 40 days of Lent. This is our annual time to clean house, to dig around in the bottom of the pantry until we find that potato. Nobody really wants to do this work, but the invitation to the work is the good news. Jesus offers us grace and acceptance and healing, and it's bottomless. And then Jesus calls us to do specific holy work. It's only natural for us to want to fix ourselves permanently and fix the whole world while we're at it, but... We're not that powerful. We depend on Jesus to help us address our own sins. I suspect that none of us here tonight has the power to bring peace and lasting freedom to Ukraine. Other people are working on that. Our part is important, though. Our role is to pray, and so we will. We pray because we can do no other. If we can do more, we will, and we will pray then as well. Meanwhile, we can all work for peace in our own neighborhoods, in our own families, and in our own hearts. The healer is here, and he is calling us to clean house, to find the source of all these fruit flies and clear the compost away. Maybe we can take that old potato out to our garden and place it where we've planted seeds. 
Maybe it can serve as fertilizer for something delicious. Maybe we can grow a crop of joy that can help feed hungry people. Like every other effect we have on the world, our ability to grow the appealing from the disgusting is only natural. And it is also divine. It's exactly what Jesus is up to, and we can do it too. We are dust, yes, but we are not dust right now. Let's spend this Lent finding our potatoes so we can grow something new. Amen.